We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is DD. Let me say this. Harry Giles, stay away. He is the next coming of Sam Bowie and Greg Oden with those knees. Bigs with bad knees coming into the NBA from college equals bust. Getting ready for the final shot of the third quarter. It's Kemba. Fires it! And makes it! You're listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Now broadcasting with your host, Richie and Spencer. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. We're back for our 28th episode of BuzzBeat Radio, and almost a week away from the 2017 NBA Draft. For our new audience on Dash Radio, BuzzBeat is a Charlotte Hornets show where you will get in-depth analysis about all things surrounding the Hornets. Listeners, don't forget that BuzzBeat Radio is a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please check out almightyballer.com for other great shows covering the rest of the NBA. We will be joined by another draft nerd and member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network family, who I will introduce very shortly. Uh, we're going to be discussing draft prospects in Charlotte's range, and maybe our guests can help us pinpoint our selection coming up in just over 10 day, or just under 10 days here. Speaking of the draft, if you haven't already, please go check out our draft page on queencityhoops.com. I've got a Coach Percy draft profiles page. Uh, also, we've been publishing in-depth draft articles comparing two different players in our Hornets Draft Buzz series. Our most recent one matched up two ACC prospects in Jonathan Isaac and John Collins. We'll be pushing one more draft buzz piece, and my co-host Richie, uh, will actually be making the case for his boy that is well documented by now, Richie, Mr. Donovan Mitchell, who wor- worked out for the Hornets today. I'm sure we'll talk about that some in this show. Speaking of, let's check in on my wonderful co-host, Richie Handles Randall. Richie, what's happening? Not a whole lot. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, school's out, so the kids are gone. I do have a couple of work days this week, but I'm enjoying my summer. My summer starts now. It's definitely a perk of being a teacher. Um, and I also can't believe the draft is what, like a week away, basically. And just to let you guys know that we're doing a live draft show. It's, it's Hornet-centric live draft show on Periscope come June 22nd at 7 p.m. So definitely check that out. It'll be myself, Spencer, and one of our most frequent guests in Brian Geisiger. Yeah, we're really excited about that. Uh, Richie, was kind of your idea, and I think it's a good one. Um, we're... we're <laughs> Flying a little bit, uh, a little bit blind here as we're gonna try to pull this draft show off. Not in the dark, but you know it's our first time, Richie. So we're gonna see what happens with it. But we'll, we'll hope that you'll make it a, a case to join us that night, um, as we're really excited about that. And Brian always does a great job contributing on the on QueenCityHoops.com, and you've obviously heard him on the show already. Um, so we're excited about that. Okay, so finally joining us today, one of the hosts of the What's on Draft NBA 
draft show and contributor to 16 wins a ring Cole's wicker is with us Cole thanks for taking the time to come on first off how are you and then please let our audience know a little bit about your show and where they can find you online I'm doing good man thanks for the introduction uh, it's an exciting time of year we're getting down the stretch run before the draft here and yeah, I mean, our, our podcast, What's on Draft Pod, we try to break down all the prospects in depth. So we've done that pretty much comprehensively. Now we're getting more into team fit. So right now we are working our way down the draft lottery. We just got done with the Philadelphia 76ers at three. We're going to try to get to 14 by the next uh, seven or eight days. So keep on the lookout for that. And yeah, I'm happy to be back on another team centric pod. Awesome. Well, on that note, uh, let's jump right in here. And we're going to what we'll do tonight again is we're going to go through names that have pro- pretty much been closely uh, closest linked to the Hornets at this point. And it really centers around three names. We're going to start with Luke Kennard uh, right now is currently mocked to the Hornets at number 11 on draftexpress.com, which means something. That's the best draft site. I think you really you're going to find out there. You know, I want to start here, Cole, ask you about Kennard. Here's a here's a six, six. A guard, very versatile player offensively. Um, a guy might be the best shooter in this draft, has shown the ability to be a creator, um, has phenomenal footwork, just a really good feel for the game offensively. So let's start with his strengths. I want you to tell me what sticks out most to you when you watch Kennard as an offensive player, and then we'll dive in a little bit defensively and, and kind of pinpoint some of his weaknesses. But tell me what you like about this guy on the offensive side of the ball, first and foremost. Well, I think you start with his skill level. I saw him play live at the Hoop Summit when he played there, and he just stood out even amongst uh, better athletes like Jalen Brown. His skill level at that age was pretty phenomenal, and that translated into Duke. Like he is, like you said, you touched on the shooting. He can shoot in a diverse amount of ways. That's his best skill is the fact he can shoot spotting up. He can shoot off the dribble, and he can shoot off screens. He can sprint around a screen compactly, catch on the hop, get off a quick release, which with his negatives in terms of athleticism is a big quality for him to have. So he, like you said, he is skilled as well as far as, you know, playmaking for others. He can pass with either hand. He's got some craft to his game. He's got a pretty good dribble as far as basic crossover setbacks. So he has some things in his game. It's just athletically is where you have the questions with his offense translating because he doesn't have that quick burst, that quick change of speed direction. He's more crafty, but you have to think that shooting is going to translate. I think he's slightly behind Malik Monk as an overall shooter in the class, but he is the second best perimeter shooter in the class, in my opinion. I want to stay on the point for a second. You're talking about, you know, a little bit of lack of athleticism, but great footwork, good feel for the game, can can come off screens, on balance, and really make plays with either the shot or the dribble. Is that footwork going to translate to you to the next level and allow him to get in the lane without that elite athleticism and explosiveness? But is that footwork that, that created space for him in the college level and got those little floaters and, and reverse pivot, uh, you know, fadeaway jumpers, is that stuff going to work in the NBA to you? It's tough because, you know, he profiles as somebody who's going to really excel running off floppy sets. We've seen J.J. Redick be able to sprint full speed, turn really quickly, catch on the hop and with good balance, like you said, and convert. And I think that aspect is going to translate. The problem for me is can he beat switches? Because a lot of NBA teams now, they just switch those actions automatically between wings and bigs. Even even fours can switch onto wings. Does Kennard have enough of an off-the-bounce game? Does he have enough juice off a live dribble to create separation? What he does have is the threat of his shot, so you have have to guard him closely otherwise he has the size and the high uh release to just elevate right over you and shoot so i think aspects of his game will translate i don't think he's someone you're going to throw the ball to in an isolation setting he's going to get you baskets consistently like he was able to do at duke at times that's not really his game but against maybe a bent defense a guy closing out hard to him i think he has enough off the bounce game to blow by him make a read on the move he can make a drop off pass he can make a floater uh, so, so there is some elements of his game that will translate. I just don't think it's going to in a high-profile scoring sense. So let's um, – that's great analysis, and I agree with almost everything you just said there about his game. I want to move to the defensive side. Uh, Richie and I have talked about it a lot. I think really anyone in ACC country that's used to uh, ACC prospects showing up on the Hornets' radar uh, almost <laughs> seamlessly every single year. Um, know that that is the biggest weakness for him. Uh, he does not have an impressive frame. He does not have impressive athleticism, which we've already talked about. Um, you know, and he doesn't have impressive length. So considering all those factors, can Kennard, is he, what I've asked 
myself and other people we've had the discussion is, is he hideable? Is this a guy you can at least hide on the defensive end, especially in clutch situations in the NBA? Because I don't care how great of an offensive prospect you are or vice versa, defensive. Hornets see this with MKG. He, he struggles to be on the floor at the end of games. Is Kennard, is he, is he so bad defensively and so much of a liability on the next level that he's not going to be able to be out there late? Or do you, do you see him being able to translate in some way? The one thing he has is that he has good size. So it's not like you have a 5'11 guy or an Isaiah Thomas at 5'8 where teams are going to headhunt him and put him in pick and roll and kind of try to get switches. I still think they probably will with Kennard to an extent, especially if you get like the really high profile scores. Because Kennard, like you said, doesn't have the frame. He doesn't have that quick reactionary first step. It's a really big issue who he's going to guard. But I am usually of the opinion, at least in the regular season, that you can hide one perimeter player. Um, on the perimeter, you can hide him on the weakest player, especially on three and D types, like even like a Danny Green. You could play Gennard on him. You just hope his instincts as a team defender are going to compensate. Is he going to be in the right places? I had some issues with him as far as off ball at Duke, but I had issues with basically everybody off ball at Duke. I, I don't know if it was the scheme or whatnot, but, you know, he got lost in a lot of floppy sets. He was out of position on some. So that's where he's going to have to win. We've seen guys that aren't great individual defenders become great team defenders because they're in the right places and they can be a non liability. Kennard has to add some strength to his frame. And like you said, he doesn't have the reach to really contest on switches. So you're going to be playing at a disadvantage. And at the highest levels of the play, I don't know if we're considering like the highest levels playing against the Warriors or the Cavs. They're going to exploit him. Uh, that's unavoidable. But it's, it's can he get a, he get passed against the second tier teams enough to stay on the floor during crunch time? Yeah, I did notice that he off ball. He sometimes loses track of his man and the guy beats him like back door. But you almost have to hide him on a guy that that does play better off ball than on ball because if there's a guy that has any good on ball skills that guy is just going to blow by him every single time that's where i think is his, his weakest point on defense is is when those explosive guys get by him because he just can't stay with them but again like to your point he did lose a lot of players off ball as well yeah and that, that quick reactionary first step he just doesn't have that ability you see that with some guys that can just immediately flip their hips and they can explode backwards he just doesn't have that he's, he's a second late and in the nba you can't play against explosive guys like that when if you open your gate too too soon they're gone and canard doesn't have the reactionary ability he doesn't have the strength to really ride their hip and like alter shots if he's behind the play he's behind the play and, that, and that's an issue <laughs> So now that I've asked you all these questions about Kennard, Cole, I'll tell you that um, I went to the Hill pretty early on in this draft evaluation process and said I wouldn't touch Kennard <laughs> at all. And, and, <laughs> and I said that along with uh, Laurie, Laurie Markinen, too. Two guys that really have ended up climbing in this draft process. A little bit surprising to me, more so with probably Markinen than Kennard. But um, it, it's an interesting take that you have. At the end of the day, at 11, do you think, regardless of who's picking there, just just determining value, do you think that's too high for a guy like Luke Kennard? I do. Yeah, I, I think that I like him more than I like most one-skill shooters, essentially. I mean, he can do a little bit off the bounce. We just don't know how much is going to translate, but I'm pretty sure his shooting is going to translate. So I like him more than the guys that I know – might not be able to shoot. I'm pretty certain that he's going to be able to shoot respectably well from NBA three point range off movement, et cetera. But yeah, at, at number 11, that's too high for me to go with a one way player who doesn't bring enough creation value for others to justify that selection. So I would definitely have him lower, maybe like lower in the twenties or so, but yeah, it, for overall for me, yeah, it's too high for me. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how he jumped. It's crazy how he jumped from the twenties up to us. And I, and I I didn't really like him to begin with, but actually the more I watched him, he's kind of grown on me. I still wouldn't select him at, at number 11, but I was actually surprised how well he played with the ball in his hands. He's not a point guard by any means, but you can definitely trust him, you know, reading those pick and rolls, very crafty type of player. So he's grown on me, but like Cole says, he's just too much of a one-way player uh, that uh, doesn't really warrant 11th overall selection. Richie, all right. On a one to ten scale, one's depressed, ten's elated. If you hear Canards, <laughs> if you need, if you hear Canards' name mentioned uh, with the Hornets or, or selected at, with the Hornets at eleven next Thursday, where do you stand on that scale? Um, at eleven, probably like a three. I would agree with you. I think I would be at a four, maybe a little higher. I've warmed up to him a lot more than I thought I would, but yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of what Cole said, and, and I'm with you, Richie. I, I don't think that the Hornets fan base is pulling for Luke Kennard, but he is intriguing. This guy has a lot of offensive skill. He has a good feel for the game. He's a lights-out shooter. He checks a ton of the boxes that the Hornets need, but that defensive uh, – 
that defensive profile is not very impressive. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with Kennard stock in the next 10 days. I, I would, I could see this guy getting probably not at any higher than 10, but I could see him to start dropping down draft board. So it will be interesting to see what happens as we lead up to next Thursday night. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to Zach Collins. I, I'm going to save the best for last here, Richie. I know it wasn't in this way in the script, but uh, I want to save Donovan Mitchell for last because everyone uh, everyone's going to be on the edge of their seat for that part. And I want everyone to listen to the whole podcast. So we're going to go to Zach Collins <laughs> next. <laughs> All right. So let's start with Cole again here. Right now, uh, Zach Collins is mocked at number 13 to Denver uh, with Draft Express. Uh, we've kind of seen his stock fluctuate here in the process. I think it peaked about a month ago, and ever since then, it's kind of started to come back to earth. So we've talked about Collins in the past on the, on the show here. He showed a ton in the NCAA tournament, and you know, you know probably a lot about Zach Collins Cole since he he played right in your backyard there in Gonzaga. But a guy that really was a sixth man for the Zags throughout the season uh, on that loaded roster. What do you like about his game the most? I think he is the only player in this class, the only five that has unicorn type equity as far as being able to protect the rim and shoot threes. He is a five to me. He's not a four. What he lacks is the playmaking elements. He's not a very fluid handler. He's a really, really bad passer. But as a finisher, pick and pop, pick and he's not the most explosive athlete, but he can get up pretty easily around the rim. So he, he can play and pick and roll pretty well. He can, if he can space the floor, I think he's the only center in this class that has that kind of two-way ability, unicorn equity that can stay on the floor, maybe against better teams due to his agility. And, yeah, there's just a lot of finishing potential with him. So – with Collins, you know, it seems that you watch him play and kind of to your point, especially, especially defensively. And you see a guy who has a pretty good feel for the game. You brought up his, his inability to, to, to pass the ball, to find his open teammates, especially when double teams come and he, and he does earn an extra defender when he catches the ball. Do you, do you see him being able to make that leap in terms of being able to feel the game, feel the double team come, you know, throw the ball across the court, find the open man, um, and what's the explanation there for maybe why, you know, the feel for the game in that in that area is just not there yet for Zach Collins? It's a great question. It probably ties into role in that team. Like he really was, he came off the bench and he really was just more of a finisher. That's, that was what his role was. He didn't have a lot of opportunities on short roles to play make. I think he can probably teach it in space or in time, I should say, because you have more space in the NBA. If you, you trap the pick and roll ball handler, Collins can probably learn how to pass in four and three situations okay so i don't expect guys that don't show things in college to really develop them if they haven't showed anything really and collins looks really flustered especially with double teams in the post some simple reads where he should just be able to kick out to the wing he doesn't read that way which is concerning i think if, if he could if he showed better indicators as a passer i'd be a really really high on him because he has a lot of translatable skills but it's hard to say when to feel for the game because you see it like you said defensively his iq is pretty damn good it's a dice roll if he ever develops that way but i wouldn't bank on it it's interesting with collins it's certainly stuff that you like like, but you know, mentioning the weaknesses and hearing you talk about that, uh, it almost makes you think of a guy who's just like a spark, just kind of shot in the arm off the bench offensively and defensively for that matter. You know, but with the inability as a starting center to really be able to pass the ball and make a defense pay when they do send a second defender, you know, makes me think maybe this guy isn't a long-term starting player in the NBA. And maybe that's not a huge shock, but would you agree or disagree with that? I don't think that necessarily has to be true. You see some starting centers in the league, even some young ones like Chris Porzingis, even if they played him at the five miles Turner with the paces, they aren't, like adept passers they didn't come into the league with great passing ability they had flashes but it was nothing you could really bank on and they developed a little bit in space i, I see a similar trajectory for collins as far as just gaining enough of a passing ability he's not going to be like a playmaker type like an al horford obviously not Nicole Jokic or anything like that but if he can make a simple read off a of four and three i think he becomes really valuable he's much more than just i mean he is adept in the post he has good footwork good uh, ambidexterity as far as being able to finish with his left but he's much more of a, a pick and pop in in space shooter and if you can shoot from the five spot and protect the rim in the league that's a really really valuable intersection of skills so i do think that he can start but it's going to be conducive on having enough playmaking around him which a lot of teams do have i mean for fives there aren't a lot of playmaking fives that's what makes them so valuable so for me yeah i, I think he's starting caliber 
Interesting. All right. So Richie, you look at a guy like Zach Collins. Uh, again, it's a guy that we really were focusing on uh, hard at the beginning of, uh, of all this draft talk. Um, what do you see in a guy like Collins? And let's use that one to 10 scale again. So the first part of the question, tell me what you, maybe you like, don't like about his game. That one to 10 question, where do you stand on that? If you hear his name called uh, next Thursday night for the Hornets? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Collins' ability to play inside out. Uh, he's definitely proven that he can work in the post at Gonzaga, and he has shown glimpses of that outside shot. I don't think Gonzaga asked him to play too much on the perimeter, but he's definitely trying to showcase his perimeter game in these workouts. I've seen a couple interviews and, and workouts with Collins, and he's stressing that to teams, that he, he does have that outside shot. Uh, defensively, I think he's um, maybe average. I think he needs to get a little bit more physical, more tough. I think he's if he's going to play the five, he can't get bullied around in the post like he has. But for some reason, I just see this guy as a player that's going to drift you know, farther and farther away from the basket when he gets to the NBA because he's so hell-bent on showing everyone that he has a perimeter game, which he has, which he does. Um, but, you know, I, I just wish he would be someone that could work inside out like he did at Gonzaga and, and get coached up in, the, in his post play. As far as a 1 to 10 scale, uh, we drafted him at 11. I would say maybe a 6 or a 7, uh, but that's probably because I'm so high on Mitchell. He's He probably doesn't get enough love from me because I, I have my uh, my crush elsewhere. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you probably on, on the rating. I, I'm probably more to five and a half, six with Collins. I mean, what I like about this guy most, um, and then I'm going to ask Cole one more question about him, is I like his motor. I like how hard he plays. I mean, I think in the Final Four especially, he really showed that – Yes, to your point, Richie, he got pushed around in spots, but tell you what, I mean, he held his own against the Carolina team that is as big, was big uh, last year, as big as anybody in the country. So I I was pretty impressed uh, with how he showed out in the tournament. Cole, in your opinion, what is... What is the ultimate ceiling for, for Zach Collins? Is it, is it super, super high, or is this a guy, what you see is probably what you're going to get, um, and, and is would fit right in that 11 range. Is that about where his value is? I have him 10th overall on my board. So that's pretty much right in line with what I think. I think his upside is probably like an average starting five in the league. If he can shoot threes, I think he becomes valuable. I don't see him ever becoming like an all-star kind of player. I just don't think that's in his general scheme as far as his upside. It just doesn't have enough playmaking like we talked about, but I do think that he can be a, quality starter on a really good team. I think he has that translatable skill set to where that's what you look for. I agree with the toughness aspect. I mean, this is somebody who clearly needs to add strength to his frame, but he does, he does fight. He does battle. You see the physicality. He tries to deny post-entry space. He pushes guys out. So there is some physicality stuff to work with there. I don't think he's like soft by any means. He's a really good rebounder. He tries there. So there's a lot of indicators that suggest that he's going to be a quality level starter. And at 11, I think that's, that's a really good outcome. Now, did he grow up on the West Coast, Cole? I think he grew up in, I want to say Las Vegas. I'm not sure about that, but I think he went to high school in Las Vegas. Gotcha. Okay. He actually just pulled up his profile. Yeah, you're right. He did. Went to, okay. All right. Very good. Uh, So Zach Collins, uh, also very much in play for the Hornets. Uh, And we, you know, another guy that I could see him kind of sneaking back up boards, Um, but, but we'll keep an eye on that. Collins, one of the most intriguing things about him, he, he's very young. He's only 19 and a half years old um, and in not a huge uh, minute role, so to speak, at Gonzaga last year. It will be very interesting to see where he will end up going on draft night. All right. Uh, now for the main event, uh, we're going to dig in on some Donovan Mitchell, who worked out in Charlotte for the Hornets today. Haven't read anything specifically saying, oh, wow, it went great. Didn't go as planned. I'm sure that the Hornets like what they have, uh, what they saw today. Every team that has brought this guy in uh, has really not had anything but great things to say about him. Currently, Draft Express has him number 12 going to Detroit. Hornets fans would tell you there's no way he's getting past Charlotte at 11, especially Richie. Richie, you kind of lay out Donovan Mitchell a little bit here, and then let's uh, let's ask Cole some questions about what he thinks. Okay. Well, first off, yeah, like you said, they haven't really had any reports in terms of how he did in these workouts, but I did listen to his interview after his workout, and every interview that I've listened to of this guy, he just sounds like he's uh, – he knows what he's talking about. He knows his role. When he's coming into the NBA, he says all the right things. And, and that, that just uh, speaks volumes to his character, the type of guy that he is. 
Uh, so just speaking of Mitchell, like you know right away the immediate impact that he's going to have on the defensive end. So I'll, I'll start there. I think he can guard ones, twos, and, and, and a lot of threes in the NBA uh, with his build and, and his length. And in a Charlotte Hornets defensive system where we're all too familiar with like closeouts because we overhelp way too much, uh, I think his le- length will be demonstrated in that type of situation. And on offense, I think he's most comfortable playing off ball. Uh, I think he was he was in the upper echelon of uh, college basketball players in catch and shoot situations. Um, I do feel like he has some potential to play with the ball in his hands uh, and be a creator, uh, but that's still uh, yet to be seen. He did he did somewhat well in the pick and roll situation with Louisville. I think the issue with him it's been noted that his his shot selection is pretty poor. Uh, but I think he even noted this in an interview today that um, he was benched by Patino because he wasn't being that quote unquote star. So maybe Patino wanted him to shoot the ball more. So maybe that played into it. And then obviously, I mean, a lot of people note his his height as well. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that's made up for the fact that he has that six ten wingspan, and he's still improving as a shooter. He shot twenty five percent in uh, his freshman year, but that increased to thirty five percent this past season. Um, so Cole, I've actually you know, Spencer, you should check this out. He has uh, archetypes for projecting uh, basketball players. And I guess I, I think he has like four categories. And within those categories, he has different prototypes. And he has Donovan Mitchell in this prototype called the two-way secondary uh, ball handlers, which, you know, I would agree with. That's the type of player that he is. Cole, what do you what do you think about Mitchell? What do you think of his strengths and, uh, and his weaknesses as well and how he projects to the NBA? I've been really high on him all year. I think I've had him top 12. I have him nine now, but I've had him top 12 like throughout the entirety of the season. Just very, very high on his ability to contribute to winning basketball in a two-way fashion. Uh, he starts with defense. I think he's the best point of attack defender in the class as far as defending opposing point guards. He has that strength, that developed frame, the length, the quick reactionary athleticism, first step, and the speed to navigate around screens. He can absorb contact there and stay attached. That's rare to see from a guy like that. So I like his ability to switch as well. He can hold position uh, on switches. He's, he's not like Marcus Smart build, but he's more like a Norman Powell type. He's just super tough, physical, long. There's a lot of defensive versatility to guard one through most of the time, one through three. He's going to struggle with bigger wings that can shoot over him. But for the most part, I think he does well. He's good on closeouts as far as changing direction. He does uh, struggle a little bit chasing guys off screens, weirdly enough, because he's so good navigating him at the point of attack. But that's stuff that I think can be improved on offensively. Secondary handler type to me. He actually finished really well in pick and roll this year. If you look at his finishing stats, like they're they're pretty high up there over the last decade for secondary handler wing types. So there, there is some off the dribble game. He's not super shifty with the ball, but I think he can come off a pick and make a simple read. He can shoot a little bit off the dribble, but less is more with him when it comes to offensive output. And that's kind of what I thought at Louisville. The shot selection point was a great one. I thought he forced a lot of shots that you know marred his efficiency. He actually shoots better than his numbers suggest, in my opinion, especially off the catch. He has NBA range, can catch on the hop, good fluid mechanics. And, you know, there is some offensive upside there as far as, you know, the passing. I do question the finishing ability a little bit. He gets a lot of credit for being this really hyper explosive athlete. And you'd think he'd be able to finish through contact a little bit better. But his two point percentage around the rim is just pretty poor. So that's a cause for concern. But you're not really asking him to be a three level scorer for his kind of build. You just want him to be like a three and D plus kind of player, knock down open threes off the catch, do some situational ball handling and then defend. If he can defend opposing point guards, he becomes an incredibly valuable. I love, love Mitchell's jump shot. I think, I think his form is as good as I've seen, to be honest with you in this, in this class. I think he's an underrated shooter. The numbers don't tell you that this is an elite shooter. The catch and shoot numbers are okay, but the rest of them don't tell you this is an elite shooter. You know, I would say that he took a lot of questionable shots at Louisville. Richie, to your point, you know, Patino wants him to be the guy. That's going to lead to some bad shots, uh, especially from a college player. And I think that probably plateaued, you know, watered down Mitchell's shooting numbers a little bit. Uh, but here's a guy, again, just like Cole just said, you know, 3 and D. I mean, I, 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 in terms of a guard that can switch across three positions, uh, reminds me a little bit of Marcus Smart. I mean, I, you know, I think there's some more offensive upside there. But, I mean, I just think they're very – I think they're very similar athletes, but Cole, I want to do this. I want to give you three guys who he's kind of been compared to probably the most, at least what I've seen. And these are the three comparisons that I like the most. So I want to, I want you to tell me which one makes more sense to you uh, than the others. So the first is Marcus smart. The second would be, be Victor Oladipo. 
And then the third is Eric Gordon. Of those three guys, who does he remind you of the most? I think probably Oladipo because I think the offensive upside shooting, I mean, I, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I, I haven't heard that one. I've heard Avery Bradley and I've heard Norman Powell. And those are the two that I, I kind of gravitate towards smart. I think like, like you said, Mitchell has more shooting upside. He's a much better shooter than, than smart was coming out just form wise, more compact. Uh, Eric Gordon, he was a much better offensive player in my opinion. Like that's not really that comparable. Oladipo, his shooting and his skill level, I think is a bit overrated, but out of those three, I would probably lean Oladipo just because I feel like Mitchell can create secondarily kind of like Oladipo can, but he's probably even a better shooting prospect than he, uh, he was. So out of the three, I would say Oladipo. Interesting. Yeah. I don't, he, he just reminds me a lot of smart, I, I, maybe just in terms of the kind of athlete he is, the build that he has you know, the length. Um, but yeah, it's the offensive part that that's hard to compare with those two. Richie, were you going to say something? No, I was just wondering, do you think he has any future as a, as a backup point guard, or do you think he's strictly going to be playing golf ball? I know you said he's a secondary ball handler, but uh, do you think that he has any kind of potential to play a backup point guard because the Hornets do need someone to run that second unit, or do you think that he's just kind of stuck at that two position? I would definitely try him there. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon can run situational handler for the Bucks. I think that Mitchell profile is kind of similarly. Maybe he doesn't have quite the level of IQ that he has, but this is someone who can split pick and roll. He can make passes on the move, drop off passes. So he did put some stuff on tape that makes you think that with more, if he harnesses those skills over time, he could be a capable backup handler for sure. But I, I'm not sure if I'm going to bet on that. I think that's not how he's going to be optimally used. But in a backup role, yeah, you could do worse. You know, I, I would say to, to add to that, uh, what Cole just said and to your question, Richie, you know, the fact that he, he kind of gathers, he likes to go off two feet. Um, I, I think it's he's going to have to try to learn to explode off of one foot, especially if it's going to run some point guard in the NBA, because, you know, that's, that's really going to make it difficult for, for him to finish around the basket. Um, you know, I think he was a spotty finisher in college, but you know, if you can't explode off one foot, uh, number one, and number two, you don't have incredible footwork, uh, to create space to, you know, reverse pivot pump fake to get guys off their feet, to help you finish as a smaller guy around the rim. I, I just worry about guys that have to gather and go off two feet uh, is ex- as explosive as he is as an athlete. I would just really like to see him, you know, go off one foot, uh, either foot, uh, you know, every now and then I think it's going to limit him as a point guard. So I think right away, you know, it's a guy, it's just, it's a two-way player who can do some creating some secondary ball handling, but down the road, yeah, his ceiling, you know, it, it exists wherever his point guard ceiling exists. If he can actually run a second unit, uh, and, and give you 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes a game, a point guard, I think he's an extremely valuable player, um, down the road, uh, weaknesses. Uh, let's touch on those for a minute, Cole. Um, what are the greatest weaknesses you see in Mitchell's game? Well, I just don't think he's a, a primary handler. If you talk about being a point guard, I don't think he quite has that good of a handle. He, he has some basic crossovers and stuff, but he's not going to handle ball pressure super well. He gets flustered in those situations, and he's not a high, high-level passer. He can make simple reads and pick and roll, but I don't see him as like a pick-and-roll prober where he breaks into the lane. He kind of breaks guys down off the dribble and you know, kicks the ball out. He can do a little bit of that stuff, but it's not like impactful. But if he's an off-ball player mostly who's a situational guy, that's not necessarily a weakness. But, yeah, I mean, that's where I would go immediately. Defensively, there aren't a lot of weaknesses other than the fact that, like I said, off-ball, he kind of runs into screens too often. And that's something you really notice on tape, which is just super weird. Hopefully he can be better at that. He has the athleticism and the speed to chase and kind of stay attached to guys in those situations. And he's going to be able to switch a lot. So overall, I think offensive upside wise, his creation probably isn't as good as some of the people think it is. And his upside there isn't as good. And he's probably going to be better relegated to a more specific role. But yeah, that's where I go with his weaknesses. So that was good. It was a really good breakdown of the three guys that have been closely uh, linked with the Hornets. What I want to do is ask you two questions here, Cole. And then, Richie, if you want to jump in, then please do here. Of Kennard Mitchell Collins. Um, who is the guy to you who's ready to contribute in the greatest to an NBA team um, on day one right now? I think Mitchell pretty much hands down. I think he can defend well enough to stay on the floor, and that's what coaches look for mostly. If you're a rookie, 
Uh, can you stay? Can you play in a team construct defensively? Are you blowing assignments routinely? I think that Mitchell can defend on ball and off ball to a certain extent. That's going to allow him to stay on the floor. And if he shoots it well, he's he's a day one kind of rotation player, at least to me. So I would probably go there. Collins might need a little bit more refining because it takes bigs a little bit longer to learn the nuances of NBA defense. And Kennard is going to take longer to learn the the nuances of off ball defense and on ball defense. He's going to be a liability. So I'd go Mitchell. So I guess that pretty much answers the second question then. The second question is, if you're Rich Joe, the Charlotte Hornets GM here, who are you selecting uh, with the 11th pick out of these three guys? Uh, Mitchell, for me, I have him ninth on my board, so I'm relatively high on him. I think he's going to be a impact player to winning basketball. Maybe not a star, but and not quite a superstar role player type, but definitely a guy who's maybe a, the fifth starter on a really good team. I think he can be, again, like a Norman Powell type of contributor. Those kind of players are typically undervalued. And I'm glad to see Mitchell getting like the accolades of being like 12th on draft express or whatnot. I think people are starting to understand these, maybe these not high ceiling players, but these impact role players on good teams are getting their due. And that's what I think Mitchell is. And I guess a follow-up question, you know, eliminating Mitchell and maybe these other two guys, is there anyone else out there in that range that you like uh, for the Hornets or for anyone that would be drafting at 11, maybe Neil Akina, uh, OG Anunoby? Uh, Is there someone else out there that has maybe better value than um, Collins and Kennard? Yeah, I mean, you just took the two names that I was going to name. Neil Akina and OG Anunoby are my eighth and ninth players on my board. Uh, OG is a little bit higher just because of the defensive potential to be the best lockdown kind of wing defender in this class. It's a little trickier with the Hornets, of course, because they have MKG. They already have an offensive player that's, you know, a, a liability on that end. And OG has a higher defensive ceiling than MKG does as far as his physical talent. His tools are insane. I think he can be a top five perimeter defender in the league. But his shot is so far away. You're really looking at a multi-year investment. And his off-ball defense isn't that great. So it's going to take him some time to get adjusted to the NBA climate. But Neil Akina is really interesting, too, because he has some he has some physical upside. He's someone who has an underdeveloped frame. His body hasn't matured. He's one of the youngest guys in this class. And he has a, a workable frame to where if he adds some explosiveness, he's not going to be Giannis, of course. He's not, like, almost seven feet. But he has kind of, like, that frame where you think there's going to be some possible strength addition. And right now he's not a great athlete. He's a decent one. He just – competes really really hard but he's someone if he fell to to 11 i would definitely have to consider taking him there just because there is in my opinion more upside than donovan mitchell in that spot with nilakina because he's a little bit better he's a better handle as far as his creativity there and he's younger there's just more in the toolbox so that would be uh, a player i would definitely have to consider if he fell but it's unlikely that he falls past like eight to ten range yeah i would i would be shocked uh if frank fell past dallas uh, I don't know why it just seems like a perfect fit for that team and, and seems like the kind of player that, that they would take there. And they obviously have a huge need at point guard. I, I actually want to take a minute and talk about Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, Cole and kind of get your thoughts on him. He's a guy who I think, you know, in a perfect world, Hornets fans would like for him to fall to 11. I mean, I think he's kind of the rich man's Donovan Mitchell, um, you know, that, that Charlotte really needs. But where do you have him on your board? I mean, he was linked to a 48 Max Vert uh, with the Lakers workout yesterday. That, of course, that's an unofficial uh, number, but that's ridiculous. And he seems to be getting a lot of hype here um, recently. I, I have a feeling he's going to climb up boards. So where do you have him and where do you kind of see his value going as we uh, zero in on next Thursday? I have him number two on my board. And I've had wow. him there for a while. As far as in a vacuum, I think that there is immense physical upside. There's immense talent upside. This is someone who's in a different skill class than a Donovan Mitchell as far as being a handler. This guy is a primary handler. He's got one of the best handles in the draft, probably second only to Fultz. You know, he can play off hang dribbles, he can play off hesitations. And there's just his athleticism is underrated. I mean, he's super explosive around the rim. He doesn't have that long week span, so you might not see it translate to the effect of these outlier athletes like John Wall types, but he's really quick. He's fast. Uh, he's, I think his playmaking is underrated. It's just that, that scheme and that system, their personnel, it was so bad uh, spacing wise. Like he just didn't have any space to operate overall. And we've seen athletic league guards translate better to the NBA spacing and better talent level. And that's something that Smith has Obviously, there's the defensive concerns as far as effort level. He's not the most instinctive defender, but I think his 
traits as far as his toughness, his strength is really underrated at 195 pounds. That guy is really built. He's got fast hands. He's quick when he wants to like sit down in a stance, which is rare. And his shooting offensively is again, I think it's just undersold. If you watch him on tape, like his, he's really fluid mechanics. He can shoot from NBA range. He was 16 of 39 from NBA threes this year. Can take him off the dribble, can take him off the catch. If he's there at 11, I mean, it's a no brainer pick. It's, it's a grand larceny kind of steal because his talent upside is absurdly high. And in this class, he gets pigeonholed a lot into like that eight to 10 range. Like he's going to go to Dallas at nine. If he goes to Dallas at nine, there's going to be a lot of GMs who are on the hot seat because this is someone who has that talent level. Just going to take a more conducive environment, a coach that can really get to him and get him to fixate on certain things, the effort level, um, the instincts, as far as being a more willing passer. So as far as physical upside and skill upside, you can't do much better than him at that spot. Interesting. Uh, to, I think in a vacuum maybe might seem high, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. I mean, he's, he is the most explosive athlete in this class to me, his quickness, his skills with the ball, you know, a a developing shooter. And I agree with you. I think he's a kid who, you know, and I'll say this following him, you know, a little bit growing up uh, here in North Carolina, going to NC state uh, has, has not had a great coaching background. So I, I'm not so sure that Dennis Smith is just not a guy, you know, who, who is good of a basketball player as he is, but probably doesn't understand the game very well yet. Um, or as good as he could. So when you link that into how much of an explosive athlete he is at the highest level, I, I think you've got something really special. So I don't, I don't think you're crazy at all to have him at two and the Lakers might not either. Cause they reportedly really liked him during that workout yesterday. So we'll see where his stock goes. And so this is a good segue. If the Hornets wanted to get a, to get a guy like Dennis Smith jr. They have to trade up. Okay. So Cole, let me ask you this. Where, where is your tier? Like when this draft really changes in terms of quality, where is that for you? It seems to range anywhere from like seven to eight to nine. A lot of people are saying it drops off after 10. So the Hornets are in a spot where if they want, you know, a franchise altering, however you want to term it player, they're going to have to move up. How far would they have to move up and how much is that going to cost a team in this draft? Franchise altering is very, it's an interesting way to phrase it. I think that there's only one of those guys in this draft (laughs) holistically. It's Markel Fultz. But after that, I have a tier from two to seven. Any of those guys can be all-star caliber players and impact guys. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, Lonzo Ball, uh, Dennis Smith, Josh Jackson, that kind of general grouping that you see most associated with that. De'Aaron Fox would be the only guy that's not in there for me that most sites have. I have him actually at 12. So after that seven spot, you get into guys that are more upside plays like OG Ananobi, Frank Nilakina. Uh, Zach Collins and then Donovan Mitchell. That's my second tier or my third tier, I should say, after Fultz in that tier two to seven. So I think that drops off a little bit after seven and a little bit after 11, which makes it like likely that the Hornets get an impact player as far as, you know, an impact rotation player that's going to help probably to winning basketball in some sense. But to trade up into the top seven, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, asset wise, who do you guys think is like worthwhile to move to that spot? I mean, obviously Kemba's too rich. You're not going to trade him. Does Michael K. Gilchrist get you to the top seven? Does he get you to the top five? Probably not. Uh, I think you would have to enhance that offer. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think MKG probably, at the end of the day, the most valuable trade asset the Hornets have. Like you said, Kim is off limits, and yeah, the Hornets are trading him. I mean, I think Cody Zeller is a name. I I just personally, and I'd like to get Richie's thoughts, I I just think the Hornets are stuck because – they're not stuck with all terrible contracts. And in fact, Kimba's might be the best in the league, to be honest. But you know, the, there's just these slew of twelve million dollar <laughs> annual contracts, and, and I think it's just it's, it's so hard for them. Five of those six contracts is just really really hard to move them. So it's like any trade the Hornets make, Cole, to me is gonna they're they're gonna be asking a team to take a bad contract back. So it's just it really handcuffs them. To, to making any moves. Um, I, I don't know, Richie, any, any thoughts to add to there? I just don't see how the Hornets can move up. No, really I, I would agree. Cause at 11, that's kind of where it switches in terms of talent wise. So if we're going to trade up into that next tier, it's going to require a little bit more. And like we discussed, MKG is really the only player out there that has value. That's not untouchable. 
and I don't know, Frank Kaminsky, Zeller, but I mean, I don't know how many people value the players that we do. And yes, they're on these contracts that are like 12 and a half million a year. I feel like we have like four of those on our team. So, I mean, they're not bad contracts by any means, but again, they're not the greatest of players. So we would probably have to throw in another future pick. And I don't know if it's worth it in the end. Cons- I don't know. I-, I just don't. I don't think the value is there trading up, considering what we would have to give up in the future. Let's just you know stay put at eleven, take a Donovan Mitchell, uh, and kind of go from there. I- I'm I'm willing to part ways with MKG. I think that's that's totally fine on my end. But I don't think that's it's going to take more than just the eleventh and MKG. Yeah, and Cole also kind of a, a theoretical here at you. I, I think that. I would actually like to see the Hornets do something like send an MKG or, gosh, even a Zeller. I don't know. Some kind of win now veteran piece to Detroit, you know, at 12. Keep, you know, obviously Hornets keep their 11th pick, you know, and and get two guys in the late lottery. Because, again, the Hornets need to shed a contract that might not be an awful contract, but they're handcuffed right now and get two guys back with the 11th and 12th pick in some kind of deal like that. Um, that are all rookie deals of guys that can contribute right away. That's the kind of deal I would like to see the Hornets make again for two reasons. You know, number one, they're handcuffed with how they can fill out the roster because of the salary. So if you got to, you know, if, if you're sacrificing maybe a little bit more than you should sending a Cody Zeller to Detroit or a Michael K. Gilchrist to Detroit for 12, but you're getting two, you know, rookie contracts and guys that can contribute day one back, I think that might be worth it. What are your thoughts on a deal like that? Yeah, I mean, the team is pretty capped out as far as their versatility moving forward. There isn't a lot of upside plays that are available. There's just not a lot of mechanisms to get those kinds of players. So I would agree. Like, acquiring as many lottery picks as you can and taking shots on these guys. Let's say Neil Aquino falls to 11. You take him at 11, then you trade, I don't know, Zeller hypothetically to the Pistons for 12 and take Mitchell. That makes a lot of sense to me because you're not going to be able to get those kind of players on the open market that have that at least some modicum of a high ceiling, right? Like maybe not an all-star ceiling, but like a really like an impactful rotation player kind of ceiling that is more conducive to what you need on the wing as far as perimeter defense and all that stuff. So that would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're working on something here. Yeah, we need to get the Hornets on this because, I mean, they want to get rid of Drummond. We'll take that 12th pick. We'll send Zeller to you. Detroit's probably going to have to send, <laughs> send us something else, a future second. I don't know what, but we just got to, got to get that third team uh, for Drummond, because I know they want him out of there, or at least they're making it sound like they do. Um, so that's the kind of deal I would like to see the Hornets make. I mean, even if they, you know, swapped, and Portland still got three picks. So even if they swapped a pick with Portland, you know, and then got another one of Portland's late first rounders, I'd like to see something like that. The Hornets just need some flexible. They need some flexible contracts right now that are, are again maybe aren't guys that are going to come in. You know, day one and give you and give you major minutes off the bench, but you know, getting some kind of promise on a much cheaper deal is going to make it easier to rebuild moving into the future. Uh, and in three or four years, the Hornets are going to be at that point where they they're going to really look at themselves in the mirror and ask him, you know, when Kimba's uh, deal has to be re-upped, you know, what are we going to do here? Are we going to tear this thing down? We're going to continue to try to build through Kemba. So they need cheaper deals to keep the flexibility alive, though, leading up to that. Hey, before we move on, before we move on, I got a question for Cole. And this kind of plays into the idea of trading back into the first round, whether it's late first round. Uh, My second favorite player in this draft, not the second best player, but just the the one that I've kind of developed a crush for is uh, Shimmy Ojale. And I've always wondered why there's such a discrepancy between him and OG in terms of the the wide range between the two, because I feel like they do similar things, but Shimmy has a better outside shot than OG does. I know that Shimmy's not this out, you know, this crazy athletic type of player, but if the Hornets were able to trade back into the first round, late first round and draft that guy, I would be ecstatic if we got him and Mitchell. But why, why is there such a big gap between him and OG? Do you know why Cole? Yeah, I think it's the defensive on ball acumen. OG can slide. Okay. Oh no, sorry. Not OG. Um, Semi Ojale can slide. He can slide okay. His reactionary step isn't nearly as good. He doesn't have the physical tools with the length. I, I am a little bit more skeptical. I think he's a pretty stiff af- athlete talking about Ojale as far as being able to, you know, retreat, challenge, like moving backwards. He's just an ice box. Like he's built so strongly and compactly. Right. And there's not a lot of, fle- he's not a lot of flexibility there. OG is a lot more flexible. He can move better, even though he looks kind of robotic when he's doing it. He just has more fluidity as far as sliding. 
And obviously, Ojeda just doesn't have that kind of length, doesn't have that kind of like burst athletically in capacities that aren't just run and jump. Like he's really explosive when he can get off too offensively. I just haven't seen that athleticism translate defensively as much as I've liked. He got burnt way too much by like Benny Boatwright in the NCAA tournament. You just saw that limitation sliding laterally. So there are some people that are higher on his defense. So I kind of get where you're going as far as just a raw athlete type, but I've just seen more defensively from OG to think that he could actually be like one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And I don't see that for semi. But at least, you know, Simi has an outside shot, which OG doesn't, though. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. His outside shot looks more translatable. I don't know how well it's going to extend to NBA range, but it, he looks pretty comfortable shooting, not even close to OG. Like, it, there's a <laughs> huge discrepancy in, in shooting there. I mean, fluidity-wise, Semi has a huge advantage. So I, I get the intrigue. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I really agree with you on Ananobi. Cole, and he's lost a lot of steam here recently in terms of his stock, but I think that just has to do with, you know, he's trying to rehab. He can't work out for teams. I mean, teams just really, they can't get any kind of tangible results on, on what he can do um, outside of the, the little bit of film he had in Indiana. But I, I think that's a guy who is saying all the right things, number one, about his defensive potential when he gets to the NBA, which leads me to believe that's where he's going to hang his hat and work hard at. Uh, and then number two, I do see a guy on film that can be an absolute lockdown defender uh, on the wing, can guard bigger players, can, can stick in there tough with a switch into a point guard. I mean, I see a special guy. Now, just whether or not the feel of the game is there for him is another question, but uh, he's going to be a long-term project. Ojale, on the other hand, yeah, definitely one of one of Richie's uh, one of Richie's sleepers in the second round. I'm still feeling him out a little bit, but that's a good segue to, to the final segment of the show here. Let's look at some second round prospects. I'm going to throw you a, f- a few names and just give me a few bullet point thoughts that, that pop to your mind uh, wh- when you think of these guys, Cole. And then whether you think they are guys who will translate to the NBA as second round picks and stick around. Um, the first guy is Tyler Dorsey, another guy from the West Coast. Uh, a lot of Hornets fans have, have asked me about him and whether I thought you know he's, he's a good backup point guard option flyer in the second round how do you see his game interesting i've not viewed him in the context of being a backup point guard i see him more as like a one skill shooter on the wing you know he can get really hot from three i see him more as just a shooter he's a decent athlete but he's not really a high level defender at all so i've i'm not as high on him but there are guys that are all right the second name people have been begging us to talk about this guy a little bit richie um he played right in our backyard here in the acc jaron blossom game he should have come out after his junior year at Clemson. He was a fringe first round pick after shooting 44% his junior year from behind the arc. Looked like a prototypical 3 and D prospect. And then he came back in his senior year and shot about 25% from behind the arc. So he was a career 31% shooter. Um, so much of his potential is tied up in whether or not he's going to be able to stretch the floor in the NBA. What do you see with Blossom game? I think the idea of him is better than the reality. Like you said, he really only shot well one year of his career. Every other year, he has not been a good shooter. He can score relatively well inside. Like He's got some post moves and stuff like that, but I don't know if that's going to translate. And defensively, I don't really see the the initial first step. I don't see the lateral quickness, the anticipation, and all that stuff. I think that people conceptually look at his build and say, this is a 3 and D guy, when I'm not even sure if he can do either. So I'm, I'm much lower on him than most people are. Yeah, I got one for you. I got one for you. Yeah, this is um I was just kind of scanning through the 40s, 50s, uh, you know, in Draft Express trying to find a guy that I liked. And actually, Spencer, if you watch this guy, this guy plays a lot like me, or I, I play a lot like him. So if you want to know what my game is and pick up basketball, watch this guy. Uh, it's uh, it's Monte Morris, senior point guy out of Iowa State. This guy has very good handles, uh, great passing, great vision, and he's probably in the upper echelon in this draft when it comes to passing. I mean, his his assist-to-turnover ratio is actually, I think, number one. It's over you know, over five. You know, he does a good job of running the offense uh, and seeing the court, but obviously the limitations come on the defensive end. But, you know, he's 6'3". I mean, I think that's a good size for a point guard, but I think he's a little bit thin. You know, have you watched much on uh, Morris, uh, Cole? Yeah, he's one of the best decision makers in the class. Like, he's really high intellect. He knows all the reads and pick and roll. He knows where everybody is at all times. He's really, really smart. What I question with him is more just NBA role. When you see backup point guards, what do they excel in? They're usually scorers, right? They're like Jawan Evans at Oklahoma State, where they can come in the game. They can run, you know, heavy pick and roll. They can get to the basket. They can create their own shot a little bit. 
Morris doesn't really have that kind of athleticism. He has like a floater game and he's been pretty good on pull-up shots for the most part, but we've seen guys in that kind of mold, like a Tyler Ennis, right? Coming into the league, they're really smart, but just there isn't a role for them really. I think that Morris is smart enough to where he might be able to carve out a niche as like a fifth guard, fourth guard, but I'm not, I'm not super high on him just because I don't think he's going to be a high level scorer, And that's just something I personally value from backup point guards in the league. Yeah. I mean, that's why I didn't make the NBA because they didn't have a role for me, but yeah, you watch that guy. That's how I play. That's how I play Spencer. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So you actually mentioned a guy, Cole, that is my fate, probably my favorite second round prospect, or I think he could sneak into the first round just because I think he can run an offense in the NBA one day. And that's Juwan Evans. Extremely quick. I think he's a good pick and roll player. He's shown his ability to shoot quickly. Is Evans a guy that's being undervalued? I think so. I'm top 20. So I'm, I'm relatively high on him. I see him as more like a high level backup point guard on a really good team rather than a starter. But I think he can definitely play that role. Like this is a guy who's the highest volume pick and roll creator for lead guards over the last decade. He ran so much pick and roll at Oklahoma State. He knows how he knows basically every intricacy with it. He can generate his own offense. He's got a really good handle. He's shifty. His only problem, of course, is that he's really small. So that capture upside as far as what you can be as a modern day NBA lead guard, but he has a lot of skill sets and he competes. So I, I like him as a backup. If you can get him, you know, lower teens, I think that's a great pick. If you can get him in the second round, I think that's a steal. Yeah. I would love to see the Hornets end up with this guy. I mean, I, you know, especially in the second round, I mean, I don't know how much he sees the floor, you know, but the Hornets just really need a guy, a guard like a Jeremy Lin type. They had the year before last. They can play with Kimba late in games. Obviously, Juwan Evans would not be that. He's just they're too short. You, you can't get away defensively. But, um, yeah. but man, I, I, I agree with you. I, he, he looks to me when you watch film on him, when you kind of break down his game, look at his stats. He looks like a top 20 player. So I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that. All right. Last guy that I. I want to I want to hit you on uh, actually let's make it two real quick because these names have come up as well and I think they will be I think they check a lot of boxes of what the Hornets need and are guys that I could see making it in the NBA long term as second round picks um, Josh Hart first and then Dylan Brooks second they're similar in a lot of ways to me um, what do you like about about both of them and, and which one would you say is probably has a better chance of making it long term in the NBA. I like Hart more. I just think he's shown more as translatable skills. He, he competes defensively. He maximizes his athleticism. Someone who's been an, a great finisher around the rim with the ball every single year. You know, he doesn't have that great burst. A lot of the times you see him get into the lane, he has to jump shot, stop, and then kind of like reverse pivot and kind of shoot fadeaways because he doesn't have the separation skills. But he has improved as a jump shooter. I think his three is going to be decent. It's not a sure bet to translate, but he does have that three and D acumen. And he's a good off-ball defender. So there's enough there to work with. I've lowered on him a little bit. I used to be really, really high on him. But just the athleticism gap and just his creation, I'm not sure it's going to translate. But at least he showed the pick-and-roll acumen, especially his senior year, to get to the basket and make simple reads in pick-and-roll. Dylan Brooks, my co-host on what's on DraftPod, Mark Whittington, loves Dylan Brooks. I don't know what role he plays in the NBA, like maybe ideally like a backup four. like he's a really good passer. He can pass on the move and handle well enough. The shooting's there. I just don't know who he defends and I don't know how he scores. If he isn't like against a bent defense, against somebody attacking his closeout, he can maybe blow by him with a decent first step and make a pass. I don't know. I, I just have, a, I have trouble placing guys into the league that I can't like fill a role for. So with him, it's more of a struggle. I can't see him filling a specific role. So I tend to devalue those guys because there's more uncertainty for me. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you there. I like Hart a little better. Uh, Brooks reminds me a little bit of like a Denzel Valentine type, maybe a poor man's and and, and Valentine really hasn't well, he's translated very inconsistently so far in his short yeah. career. Well, all great stuff, Cole. I mean, that, that's awesome insight. And you obviously do a great job uh, with, with your draft analysis. And if you haven't checked out that pod, you know, their show, what's on draft so far, make sure you do that. Uh, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, and again, thanks to Cole for joining us to discuss the draft, which is next Thursday. Uh, Cole, let everyone know one more time where they can find your shows uh, online, take them on the go, listen to them, and also let them know where they can find you on Twitter. 
Uh, at Cole's Wicker on Twitter, really creative stuff. Uh, I write for the step back. So I'm doing a draft breakdown right now of all the lead guards in the class. I just got done with driving and finishing. So you can check that out with the top four. So Darren Fox, Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz, Dennis Smith. And I host, which we're, we're like bi-weekly or tri-weekly now. I've <laughs> done the stretch run for what's on draft. We're, we're basically going down the lottery again, breaking down every team fit. So we will get to Charlotte probably, I want to say in five, six days or so. So look for that. And yeah, uh, give us a follow. Awesome. Uh, Richie, let the listeners know where they can find BuzzBeat Radio online and how they can take the show with them anywhere on the go. Very good. Yeah. Check us out through iTunes, Stitcher, or with your favorite podcasting app. Um, Also, we truly appreciate any feedback and ratings you could give us. Uh, It really does go a long way. Uh, And thanks for tuning in to episode 28, and we will see you guys next time. And I don't know if the next time is going to be our podcast or it's going to be our live show during the draft. All right. Awesome, Richie. Thanks. Um, All right. So don't forget to check out all the great draft coverage again over at QueenCityHoops.com. Currently, everybody's going to like a lot the Hornets Draft Buzz series piece coming this Thursday, Friday. Just stay tuned. It'll be this week. It'll be later this week. Canard versus Donovan Mitchell. It's going to probably be the most popular one we've done so far. That might be the two guys that, uh, that it comes down to for the Hornets. All right, so we've got the most in-depth draft coverage out there. So, again, make sure you're checking out queensityhoops.com for Hornets draft coverage. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thanks to Cole for coming on. We'll see everybody next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.